Call this regular school committee meeting to order January 9th, 2023. Ms. Uh, Reynolds, would you lead us in a salute to the flag, please? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. No executive session at this time. School committee members and student reports. School committee chair report, I have nothing to report at this time. Resource committee, Mr. Stevens. Resource committee uh, met uh, on November 29th, and uh, we went over donations from Mr. S uh, Mr. Roach. Uh, we were given an enrollment update by um, Mr. Packard. Uh, <coughs> we have uh, our current school choice students as of 10-1 was 177 students who have come in and 361 are going out to other communities. Uh, we talked about different position considerations. Positions we are looking to add to the general budget are an ETL and a moderate special education, Unit A for South Street Childhood Campus. Uh, this was based on the needs of the current enrollment. Uh, one would be a .5 teacher and the other would be a .5 uh, ETL teacher based on the classrooms. Uh, we have a 10-month clerical at uh, McKay campus uh, because the secretary at uh, Pittsburgh State University resigned and we will be picking that position up in our budget and uh, there will be a reduction in the McKay budget uh, that'll take place. Uh, we also talked about the need for increased security in the halls of the middle schools and the high school. Uh, we are going to add an additional security parrot to Longo Memorial and FHS with adjusted hours to uh, cover after school activities. Um, we would like to uh, discuss and we will be discussing uh, e-payment process uh, and uh, Mr. Roach will have more information on that. Any questions? Uh, would yep. you please repeat the numbers coming in and going out? Uh, would you please uh, repeat the numbers of students coming in and going out of Fitchburg schools? 177 students have come in and 361 going out. That's what I had. Yep. Thank you. Yep. School building needs, Mr. Stevens. Uh, school building needs. Uh, we uh, met on December 13th. Um, Mr. Roach uh, gave us, we are required by financial approval for schematic design for the doors and window projects. This will be submitted to the uh, MSBA and uh, will not be accepting any accelerated projects for 2023. Uh, we did receive three bids from contractors. The lowest bid did qualify. Uh, we did uh, interview for an OPM uh, and we selected uh, NV5. Uh, the uh, Crocker Elementary School OPM process review interviews are scheduled um, for December 15th, which we did, we did, and that was the uh, N NV5 was selected. Uh, I did receive complaints uh, from parents about uh, lighting uh, at uh, 
Longo and Rheingold. Uh, Mr. Richardson uh, has taken care of this submitted work orders and that has been being taken care of. Uh, I also met with Dr. Knight and Mr. Richardson at uh, Goodridge Academy and we went through the building and uh, Mr. Richardson looked at what projects could get done and uh, he will be making a list and will be working on some of those projects uh, to get them done for the next school year and anything that he can get done now he will. Thank you. Any questions? Seeing none, moving on, policy committee. Uh, Mr. Horgage notified me he's not going to be here tonight. He's not feeling well, and there is nothing to offer from the policy committee. Student support committee. Dr. Knight. You're muted. She can't, it doesn't look like she can, yeah. she's it's in pass maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, school personnel uh, subcommittee, nothing to report at this time, nor the executive committee. Right. Now we're into the category of student representatives. <clears throat> yes. So before we um, introduce a new student representative, one of whom is here tonight, I'd like to thank and recognize the two student representatives who have been with us for the last year, Frank Gallo IV and Tia Gopal. So I'd like to just come up and uh, give you the, your treasured nameplate <laughs> here that you can take with you in your next step in your journey. I have a few words, uh, sort of, as, as a reflection. So as you well know, this is my final sort of report uh, of my term as a student representative to the school committee. And I have to say, it has been an excellent experience. Um, it has shaped who I am today. Uh, even though the time was short, the impacts were large. And I would like to take a moment to sort of reflect on the triumphs and areas of improvement that still remain over a year of repping. Um, when I first sat on the bench, when me and Tia first took our places last year, uh, our school was in a period of unprecedented discord. Not only were we undergoing the pandemic in full force and attempting to recover from it, we also experienced a co-catastrophe, a chronic lack of hope. Students at FHS and throughout the public school system, uh, regardless of grade, faced teacher shortages, behavioral issues, and a persistent mental health crisis. During this past year, with the help of the school committee, Fitchburg Public Schools successfully transitioned from out of that pandemic mentality of pessimism into recovery. Fitchburg High School in this year is visibly more optimistic, if only anecdotally. We have opened the bathrooms with the consistent help of the school committee and the diligence of our school staff and resumed a program where teachers can act as substitutes so students can spend their whole day in class. Additionally, water bottle refilling stations, I, if you remember that from slightly earlier in the year, have been installed in the school and are widely used and are keeping students healthy. 
Furthermore, this past year was enormously consequential for the field of student representation as a whole statewide. Uh, prior to 2022, no state-level organization equivalent to MASC, which, of which most of you are members, uh, existed to unite student representatives to the respective school committees in the pursuit of favorable policy. Now such an organization exists, and both Tita and I are participants. Uh, it's called MAZR. You guys uh, have I've spoken about it before. And we are beginning to advocate for such changes as student representative voting rights and comprehensive financial literacy for everyone in the state uh, on Beacon Hill. Uh, there's some preliminary notions that we may get a bill uh, in, filed in the State House in the next couple of months. Um, although there have been many strides made this year, there's still much work to be done in order for the for student government of Fitchburg High School to reach its full potential. Our student government lacks foundational documents to define its role. A well-written student constitution composed by youth leaders in school is essential for the smooth operation of student representation in the future. Additionally, and most importantly, perhaps most importantly of everything I've said in my entire term, we must not let the undue influence of adult leadership corrupt the student voice. The successful model of student representation is a model in which students are free to express their opinions independently of adult influence. It is essential for the continued health of our school democracy that our student leadership answers to one body and one body alone, their fellow students. Thank you for working with me very much. Best of luck to the new reps, and have a very happy new year. May I have a copy of that? Uh, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate nice. that. Thanks, Frank. Thank you Thanks. for your, Thank all you. your work. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity, and I'm glad that I had the pleasure to meet all the school committee members. Um, I want to give a special thanks to Mr. Roach and the superintendent. It wouldn't have been possible without you guys for recognizing my talent for public speaking. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten this wonderful position. This position um, has allowed me to realize my strength of public speaking and uh, for advocacy for others, and this is something I hope to pursue. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Dr. Knight, who has helped me advocate for students and staff at Fitchburg High. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm glad that I had this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and succeeding Frank and Tia, tonight we have one of the new members present, Zoe Graham, and Cheyenne Tirado could not be with us tonight. So Cheyenne, want to introduce yourself to the school committee and the community here? Zoe. <laughs> Um, good afternoon, fellow city council members. It is such a pleasure and honor to be here as a student representative sitting in front of you today. Before going any further with my presentation, I would like to take the time to formally introduce myself so you will be able to know and understand me as your new student rep. For those who do not know, my name is Zoe Graham, and I am a current member of the Fitchburg High School junior class. Some things to know about me is I'm the class of 2024 vice president. I'm the proud leader of the school's black student union. And in my free time, I love to read and expand my mind on current social issues. I am here today because I was appointed by both my principal and vice principal, Ms. Jarrett and Mrs. Leva, to participate in these meetings and speak on current events and issues taking place not only within Fitchburg High, but, with the, but within the entire Fitchburg School District. Tonight, I will be focusing on just FHS, though. Some important events that I'd like to go over over with you today include the acceptance of no, numerous high school seniors into Fitchburg State University, 
the availability of after-school tutoring for those struggling with classes, career chats, the holiday fair along with annual door decorating contests, the parandas, and the new topics discussed during the school improvement committee meeting. Firstly, I would like to acknowledge the class of 2023 seniors who have been accepted into Fitchburg State University and Mount Wachusett Community College on the annual decision day, as well as the 92 seniors who received the Abigail Adams Scholarship for their outstanding MCAS performance. Congratulations. It is a huge accomplishment and I wish you all the best as you move forward with your college journeys. Next, on December 19th, new tutoring opportunities became available for Fitchburg High School students. As Tia Gopal so pleasantly stated during the last council meeting, all students, whether that be struggling students or not, are in need of extra help when it comes to their classes. Many students work extremely hard to achieve good grades and sometimes it is hard for, them to, hard for students to accomplish this. By providing extra help and tutoring, students are able to not only feel better, but do better when it comes to excelling within the classroom. In addition, Girup also provided students on December 7th with the opportunity to participate in Career Chats. Career Chats was an event hosted in which six professionals from different fields of work came and spoke with students interested in that specific career. They had entrepreneurs, acquisition associates, real estate agents, the captain at the Fitchburg Fire Department, contractors and army recruiters come in and speak about their experiences in their field. Next, the Step Up to Excellence Sophomore Induction Dinner also took place throughout the month of December. For those unaware, the Step Up to Excellence program is a program aiming to help underprivileged kids build their college resumes and experience a mentor-mentee relationship. On December 8th, we had a dinner to celebrate the five newly selected sophomores on their acceptance into the program, while also highlighting the experience of current juniors in the program and their endeavors so far. Fitchburg High School students and teachers also participated in the annual door decorating contest. The theme this year was Winter Wonderland, and it was very fun activity for all classes to participate in on their last week of school before winter break. It allowed students to grow closer with their classmates and teachers while also connecting with the competitive spirit all us Red Raiders love to pitch into. Along with this, on December 23rd, we also took part in the Holiday Fair. The Holiday Fair is a super gratifying experience for the FHS community because student council members, clubs, and other groups within the school are able to set up tables and sell items like raffles, pictures with Santa, and much more. The Parandas also took place as well on December 23rd. The Parandas is a Puerto Rican Christmas Eve tradition in which family members and friends get together and sing common Christmas carols and enjoy their time together. On this day, one of our amazing teachers here at FHS, Mrs. Rivera, and the Multicultural Club went around the school singing Spanish Christmas carols. This definitely aroused the students in school as a whole and had every kid singing along, dancing in the halls, and feeling super lost in the holiday spirit. Lastly, on January 5th, our School Improvement Council met and touched on the following topics. Facility changes, social-emotional improvements, and increases in academic opportunities. In terms of facilities, new dual enrollment rooms will be added in order to accommodate for students and professors who are in need of professional and vital learning environments. A new clinician will also be added onto the Fitchburg High School staff in which there will now be five total FHS clinicians to help provide aid to students in need of social, emotional, and mental assistance. 
On top of this, Fitchburg High is partnering with Monty Tech. With this partnership, FHS students are permitted the opportunity to take classes in home carpet carpentry and electrical. That program would start in the 24-25 school year. Finally, thank you all so much for listening and taking the time to understand the culture and events taking place inside of our astonishing school, Fitchburg High. We're so excited to continue our journey here as your new 2023 representatives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? <clears throat> approval of the minutes from the previous school committee meeting of December 5th, 2022. A motion to approve the minutes. Second. Motion made. Second. Seconded to approve the minutes of the meeting from December 5th, 2022. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? It is unanimous. Thank you. Communications. I don't believe the chair has no communications to make at this time. Public comment period. Public comments are no more than five minutes in length may be submitted to the superintendent via email. Anyone wishing to make public comment, please go to the center rostrum. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Jacqueline Wetchie, Fitchburg resident, speaking on agenda item number eight, teacher diversification pilot program. This $95,078 grant should be used for real change, not an incrementalist approach where you pay out-of-town consultants and hope for change down the road. I suggest a few things. Number one, while the school website says that candidates from diverse backgrounds with experience in an urban setting are encouraged to apply, this statement isn't included in your school spring job listings. It should be. Number two, instead of passively waiting for diverse candidates to apply, you should be actively recruiting. I attended a college where the student body was majority minority and the employees majority white. Everyone agreed this should be changed, so we successfully altered the college's workforce rapidly without consultants, grants, or headhunters. The best way to do this is through word of mouth. Have you ever sent a letter home to families when there is an opening, asking them to recommend candidates from anywhere in the U.S., including Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and other territories? There is a great demand for educators of color, so you may have to look outside the immediate area. You can use this grant to fly people in for interviews and assist them with relocation expenses. Number three, the more diverse your workforce becomes, the easier it will be to recruit additional diverse candidates. They will see that they are not just a token, but that the district truly welcomes many people of different backgrounds. It is especially critical that the administration be diversified because this sends the message that we don't just want people of color to work here, but we are willing to share power with them. The criterion should not be who the mayor or administrators feel accustomed to working with because that reinforces your current power structure. It shouldn't be about you and your comfort zone. It should be about the children and what's best for them. Number four, some people say that focusing on diversity will lower the quality of the candidate pool. This is absolutely not true. Qualified persons of color exist for every position in the schools, but you have to work to find them. For instance, at my college, we had always recruited French professors from France. But when an opening came up, we thought Haiti is a French-speaking country, and we found a great professor from there who chaired the Modern Languages Department for many years. Think outside the box. Number five. However, simply waiting for openings to occur will not be enough to get timely change. While you wait, 
more generations of children will pass through the system interacting with few if any school employees who are representative of the student body. So the final step is to get white people to voluntarily share power. My father taught at the college I attended and he chose to take a step down from tenured full professor to a support role, making way for an excellent woman from Barbados who not only brought racial diversity, but also introduced new courses like social history that had not been taught there before. Later, the chair of the department, another white man, stepped down to become a regular professor, making way for another stellar woman, this one from Puerto Rico, to join the department in a leadership role. Faculty and staff and some other departments moved to other institutions to make room. If you can't get people to step aside for diverse candidates, you can use some of the $95,078 for contract buyouts and early retirement packages. Given his record of removing administrators of color from the school system, you should start by replacing the superintendent. You can diversify the school system and you can do it fairly quickly, but it takes a stronger commitment than this administration has been willing to make. It takes the moral courage to sacrifice your own self-interest for the benefit of our children. You can't buy that with grants or consultants. It has to come from your heart. Now, anyone, anyone else wishing to make public comment? Seeing none, moving on, superintendent's report. Okay, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Tonight we have a uh, special guest here from the North, two special guests here from the North Central Mass Chamber of Commerce. Tonight we have uh, Roy Nascimento, President and CEO, and along with Roy is uh, Terry Young. And they're here tonight to talk about the workforce study that was comp recently completed by the Donahue Institute uh, for North Central Mass. And the reason why um, I invited the chamber here tonight is they're, they're looking at having, making sure that the workforce of the future um, is known to all stakeholders. Uh, public schools are a key part of developing that workforce for the future and leaders and whether students go immediately to career or go to college and come back. There's a lot of opportunity here in North Central Mass and uh, Roy, I'll have you take it from there. Thank you, Mr. Superintendent, and I want to thank the, uh, the school committee and Mr. Mayor. Thank you for inviting us to, to present today on this study. Thank you, Mr. Superintendent, and, your, and the members of your team. I think we have a presentation. If we could have it pulled up, uh, just I know many of you have a packet of it. Over the screen, so. So in the meantime, I'm going to get started. So in the meantime, I'm going to get started. So my name, again, is Roy Nascimento. I'm president of the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. As the superintendent mentioned, uh, Terry Young, who's our manager of talent and education initiatives, is here today. Uh, this is a new position. We're very excited to have Terry on our team. Uh, this position is really focused on really being a liaison among the business community with our schools, as well as helping engage employers and the schools together so we can move forward and, and help uh, students uh, throughout the region. Uh, so I wanna start off with, with the why. You know, why did we do this study? And this is a copy of the study. You can see the study. 
and it was conducted by the UMass Donovan Institute. The reason why we conducted this study is because it's no secret. Everyone is really struggling right now. Employers are struggling trying to find qualified, skilled workers. Uh, it's not only uh, private sector employers. I know the school departments uh, throughout the region are also struggling trying to find teachers and other professionals uh, and throughout every industry. Uh, every company, you know, they're, they're struggling to find qualified, skilled workers. It's not just an issue here in North Central Massachusetts. It's a statewide issue. It's a national issue. A lot of this is being driven by demographics, specifically the aging of our population. Uh, so it's a problem not just here in Massachusetts and here in North Central Massachusetts. It's a little bit more acute here in North Central Massachusetts because our population is slightly older, and we're seeing our population uh, retiring. I think the, uh, the statistic we have up here by 2040, as much as 27% uh, of the population here in North Central Massachusetts is going to be retirement age. That's from uh, about 10%, a little, little over 10% in 2010. So that has significant implications for our workforce. We're going to see a lot of people aging out of the workforce, retiring. We're going to see a lot of shortages. Um, so that's the reason why we were concerned. We know this problem is just going to get worse. We went to the UMass Donahue Institute, we asked them, uh, we commissioned the study and asked them to take a look at this, look at the data, help us understand the labor market here in North Central Massachusetts. And more importantly, we wanted solutions. Uh, we, wanted, uh, we wanted solutions to help grow our labor market here uh, in the future, to help employers and help our region advance. We know we don't want to just stick our heads in the sand and just ignore the issue. We know as a region, for us to be competitive, for us to advance, we need to find these solutions. So I'm going to turn it over to Terry, who's going to go over some of the key findings and look at some of the data, and then I'll come back up in a few minutes and talk some more. Thank you, Roy. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to share these findings with you. So some of the key findings um, from the study show that North Central Massachusetts is more prone to labor force shrinkage due to the aging population, along with the little to no population growth. And we will feel future demographic pressures on the labor force more acutely than many other parts of the state. As we know, college is increasingly expensive and there's historical overemphasis on college prep at the high school level. The imbalance of education between the trades and four-year degrees will carry forward. The pipeline bringing young people into the local labor force is ill-defined. It was found that the labor force participation rates differ by race, age, and education attainment. There is a lack of mentoring that can help guide people early in their careers that are local and in demand. Another factor is companies' <coughs> adherences to strict measurements of skills such as degrees and certifications. And finally, it is difficult to educate for an economy that is act actively evolving. Yes, excellent, thank you. So this first graph, um, and the next few slides uh, will really help provide a visual context to the information um, that will be further um, described uh, in the slides. So I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on, on these graphs, but this population growth change shows here that by um, using the same scale with each starting at the same place in 2010, that it's comparing regional projections to the state overall. The north central region is projected to decline in population as shown by the lower line. 
and then while the state overall is projected to experience continued growth, it is slowed growth out to 2050. Thank you. So this is a share of total population by employment status. This is a breakdown of employment status by race, which shows the total population that are either in the labor force, not in the labor force, institutionalized, or in active military. Yes, thank you. Another factor to consider when looking at labor force participation rate is different levels of education attainment, and this shows who has bachelor's degrees or higher, high school with some college and less than high school. Oh, excuse me, but it's so tiny, I can't read that. Uh, could you read across the bottom there? Yes, and so uh, the first graph it shows on with the white population, how many have a bachelor's or higher, which is, is 30. higher? Yes. And then some high, um, high school with some college is in the green. And then less than high school is the lower margin. Mm -hmm. And then it goes white, black, Asian, and Hispanic. Is that helpful? Yes, I, okay. thank you. Yeah, yeah, they can be small, hard to read. Okay, so the next um, slide is labor force participation rate by age. If we look at the rate by age group, we can see considerable variations showing that the overall labor force participation rate for North Central Massachusetts by age is lower than the state overall. And then the next slide shows the projected labor force for the North Central region. It's similar to the population rate. The overall labor force is expected to decline as well. These projections can give us an idea of what the labor force in the region might look like given time, and these projected changes in demographics shed light on why some of these changes are happening in our region. And I'm gonna have you leave that graph up as I turn it back over to Roy so he can finish off. Thank you, Terry. Uh, so this slide is a really powerful slide. It's, it's a projection that UMass Donahue Institute uh, did projecting out our labor force. Uh, prior to 2010, it's not on there, but the labor force was increasing and continuing to increase through 2020. And as you can see now, it's projected to go down because of retirements. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of baby boomers retiring and they're making up a bulk of our, of our labor market. And you can see it goes down, it's projected to go down to 136,000, uh, that's the labor force by 2050. So within, within the next um, 20 years or so, you know, we're gonna see about 20,000 people leave the labor market here in North Central Massachusetts, which is really pretty staggering. And again, speaks to that issue that we're concerned about here uh, in the region. Next slide, please. So this next slide, really to, to frame the issue and to help you know, segment out you know, different elements of our, our population, different elements of the workers that are out there, uh, the uh, UMass Donahue Institute team uh, really categorized workers into two different categories, which you see here on this slide. Hidden workers, which we're really not gonna talk about too much tonight. The study does talk a lot about hidden workers. 
but I'm, I'm primarily going to focus on future workers because I think that's more relevant uh, to the school committee and to administrators and the work that you do. So we're pr primarily going to talk about future workers, but I'm going to touch briefly on hidden workers. So you see up there hidden workers. Hidden workers are, uh, uh, could be folks with disabilities, veterans, immigrants, refugees, people without diplomas or without education, people with a history of, um, without a history of employment, uh, folks that were previously incarcerated, for whatever reason, they may not be uh, fully working in the workforce in the labor market. And then future workers, you know, these are families looking to relocate, um, could be retained locals, young professionals, remote workers, immigrants, refugees, uh, young people um, not in education, employment, or training, and more importantly, for uh, that's relevant to you in the school systems, is youth, those under the age of 14. So next slide, please. So, and, and this really talks about hidden workers. So you've got uh, workers that maybe are working, but they're not working to their full capacity. Maybe they're not working full-time, they're just working part-time, but they wanna work full-time and could work full-time if, uh, if there were availability, uh, if there were opportunities available. Those are, that are missing from the labor market, uh, those that have been unemployed for a while but are returning to the labor force and seeking unemployment. And then those that are completely out of the labor market, those that are not working and not seeking employment uh, due to economic reasons. It could be that they're a caretaker for a young child. It could be, you know, whatever reason. And, and uh, again, I think some of that, that previous chart um, graphic kind of illustrated that. Next slide. And then future workers, which is a little bit more relevant, I think, to the work that you do. And this includes young people, uh, those that are under the age of 14, uh, the zero to 14 age range, those are children who are not yet eligible to work because of their age, or it could also be young people over the age of 14 who are not currently you know, working because they are involved, they're, they're in school, right? Or in training. Uh, future residents, uh, this would involve uh, people that may be attracted to the area. Obviously, we're a, uh, a very affordable region when compared to Boston and greater Boston. So folks relocating out here to North Central Massachusetts, if they relocate out here, they might be more apt to want to work out here. So that's a potential workforce. And then the future of work, since COVID-19, there's been a lot written about this. This has really changed the way we work and, and introduced remote work options. So there's, it, there's an opportunity maybe for employers to potentially gain employees through remote work opportunities. Next slide. So in the study talks about kind of barriers to entering the workforce, entering the labor market, and it really categorizes it into these four different categories, Geogra geographic barriers, structural barriers, work-life balance barriers, and skills barriers. I'm primarily gonna focus again on skills barriers just because of time, and I think that's what's most relevant, what you wanna hear. Uh, today, given that uh, that you're the school committee and focused on educating young people and developing skills. Next slide, please. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the skills barriers that were identified, some of the challenges. Uh, this is stuff that, that you're living, this is in your world, so this shouldn't come as a surprise. I'm sure you hear this all the time. First off, uh, college is increasingly expensive and there's a, a societal uh, overemphasis on college prep at the high school level. Uh, technical schools are also limited in capacity and cannot keep up with demand. We have several technical schools in our region uh, that have a waiting list and they're turning away students. And not, uh, not every student, you know, some students need different modes of, of, of training and different modes of education. 
uh, specifically a trade school. So we're turning away folks that could potentially, we need to increase that capacity. The pipeline bringing young people into the local, local labor force is ill-defined. Uh, the study also found that there's a lack of training within companies that allow current employees to advance. That's more on the employer side. Uh, there's an adherence uh, uh, to strict measures of skills, such as degrees of certification. Some employers are requiring these degrees and certifications that's and where they may not need it, and it's, it's limiting their labor pool. Uh, there's, an, uh, there's an aging workforce, which we talked about, uh, which may lack the latest skills despite the wealth of experience. And, it's, uh, and there's some future challenges as well. Like it's difficult to, to educate for an economy that continues to actively innovate and evolve over time. And innovation is happening very, very quickly. Uh, and then there's this imbalance of education between the trades and four-year degree type programs, that will, and that's expected to carry forward. And of, co of course, COVID-19, you know, that's really changed, changed our world since that's ha happened. And we don't know what the long-term impacts are gonna be on students, on workers, on our employers over time. So, next slide. And these are some of the additional barriers to entering the workforce uh, that I mentioned earlier. Again, I don't wanna to talk too much about them, but there are geographic barriers, transportation, housing, the structural barriers, uh, perceived risk of being uh, hiring justice-involved individuals, that remains. There's automation and metric-based uh, approaches that employers are using that are that are filtering out candidates, so again, limiting their labor pool. Uh, there's implicit or explicit biased hiring. Uh, there's over-credentialing in some job postings and unnecessary requirements, again, that, that may deter candidates and limit the labor pool for, uh, for uh, employers. And there's this issue of the benefits cliff, which was new to me and that I learned about, but there's uh, there's uh, the structure of some of our, our social service, social assistance programs are structured in a certain way where they may discourage uh, folks from advancing in their careers because they may lose some of the benefits if they go on to education or on training and, and um, so that is an issue as well. And then work-life balance that we've heard about so much and it's been written about the not everyone wants the nine to five anymore. There's a, we're a very high cost state, lack of things like childcare support, and then of course, COVID-19. Next slide. So really, we we're really interested in were solutions. So we we're looking for some recommendations. These are a few, uh, there's a lot of recommendations in there. A lot of it isn't relevant to you. These are uh, more geared towards the schools. First of all, employers, uh, one of the recommendations was employers collaborating more with our K through 12 educational institutions to help really align the curriculum uh, with what employers need and what industry needs nowadays to help make uh, help students be successful once they graduate, either going on directly to a career or going on to college and a career. Things like career pathways, P-TECH, work-based learning, and these things I have to compliment the school system because these are things I think Fitchburg is, is being a leader on in the region is really developing those career pathways and some of these other uh, initiatives. Uh, collaborate with local colleges, high schools, vocational schools to offer training or credentialing for current and future workforce. Things like the Chapter 74 After Dark. Again, Fitchburg is being innovative and being a leader here. I think I, I know there's talk of collaborating with uh, Monty Tech on an After Dark program. Uh, expand career exploration opportunities for young people. Things like internships, career fairs, job shadowing, mentorships. We need to provide students with an introduction to different careers out there so they can help help them make decisions on the pathways that they need to make. 
continue to co coordinate with local institutions on breaking down skills barriers, mass hire, community college, FSU, uh, create, promote, and expand programs which offer micro-credentialing. The community college and FSU are doing some great things there. Uh, offer student uh, loan forgiveness programs, offer paid training and education vouchers, it's more on the employer side, and there needs to be a push for reforms in schools to prioritize students needing different modes of education. And then convening employers, local education institutions to discuss skills barriers. Employers and, and schools and uh, don't always talk. We need to have more engagement among both, uh, both groups. And the next slide. So in, in conclusion, uh, getting workers in the labor force has to be easier. Employers need to make it easier for people to come back to work. We need to be creative with flexible work hours, benefit packages, childcare support, transportation support, uh, we need to continue the good work that we, that's being done and we need to expand that. Things like what Fitchburg is doing with, um, with the school department's doing with career pathways and uh, the Chapter 74 program and uh, the partnerships with the community college, early college, those are great initiatives. Uh, North Central Massachusetts needs to add more businesses to the mix with K through 12 to more accurately address the, address the content being uh, done. So employers need to step up to the table as well and partner with our schools. That's one of the reasons why we brought Terry on, so we could have a liaison connecting employers to the schools. And the workforce challenge doesn't come with a one-size-fits-all solution. The long-term challenge change to occur, everyone needs to be involved. We need the chamber at the table, we need employers at the table, we need the schools at the table, we need transportation at the table. Uh, social services, nonprofits, higher education, legislators, workforce development workers, everyone needs to be at the table. We need a collective impact model. Uh, more youth need to access better hands-on experience in real life situations. Again, more work-based learning, internships, career fairs, career exploration opportunities. Uh, and then uh, wraparound services are needed, uh, things like childcare, transportation uh, barriers, closing those skills gaps, rewriting structural norms and accommodations for a work-life balance. We need more of that. So there's a, there was a lot in this study. It's, uh, it's nearly 90 pages long. It is available on our website, uh, which is at uh, www.northcentralmass.com. Again, it's www.northcentralmass.com. There are a lot of recommendations. Really, again, we just mainly focused on the stuff that we thought was relevant to the school committee and to the school systems. Uh, but in closing, I want to thank, again, the superintendent for inviting me. I want to thank the school committee uh, for hearing us out and thank you for your leadership. Uh, the school uh, system here in Fitchburg has truly been a leader here regionally, uh, adopting a lot of these types of programs, looking to partner with employers, uh, and which is great, and we'd love to see that continue. And we're here uh, as a partner uh, to see how we can make that happen. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy thank to you. take questions. Questions? Quick question. Mr. Walsh. Were you pleased with the results and or surprised in terms of some of the solutions that they recommended? So I, I guess I wasn't surprised. A lot of the data and the research they did really just validated what we already know, that there's a problem. I think a lot of the recommendations and solutions were, were good ones, and there were some, some surprises. Again, uh, things like the benefits cliff. I didn't, I'd never heard of that term. I wasn't aware of that, that issue. Uh, so, but that is an issue, and that's something that our public policy leaders may need to address so that we can get uh, more people off the sidelines and into the labor market, because we really need to get people off the sidelines. Thank you. 
Mr. Mr. Stevens. <clears throat> Roy, uh, have you given this 90-page uh, document to Monty Tech, and have you <clears throat> been working with them at all where the employees, employers that are part of your organization, are they giving Monty Tech what their needs are? Is Monty Tech trying to change their curriculum to meet the needs of the vocational programs that are needed uh, in North Central Massachusetts and not send 90% of their kids to college? Yeah, so I would say that um, Monty Tech does a great job in engaging employers. So, and I think that's one of the best practices that we'd recommend that uh, conventional schools, you know, if you're not a trade school, you can still implement this practice of really engaging and hearing from employers. They have, they have uh, set up advisory committees where they're meeting with different segments of employers around different trades, hearing from them what employers need, what industry needs, what's, what's relevant right now in the world for their students so that they're 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 staying relevant. So I think they do a good job of engaging employers if that I believe that was your question. Yeah, so that they, you know, so that they can provide programs uh, that are going to fit the employer's needs mm -hmm. and uh, change their programs Correct. to need it. Yeah. And, and uh, also accept students who maybe want to go into that program who may not always fit their criteria for uh, entrance, but really work with uh, students uh, that want to go into the trades and uh, make more of those positions uh, available to them. Well, we need more of those. We need more capacity, right? So we need more spots opening up for students. Well, I don't know if it's need more slots to open. Uh, we have, Fitchburg can send uh, 100 students per year. Uh, we maybe sent 78 this year. We have 22 openings, but I guess that kids just didn't qualify to get in. Uh, so we need to make some way that we can get some of those openings to our Fitchburg students uh, and get them in so they can get into trades. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm. That's been from. a thorny issue, Roy. The the admissions policies of. Uh and given the fact that, <clears throat> that it's a public tech school, mm -hmm. um, I think they're beginning to address it. Desi's had them addressing it now, but uh, former Mayor Gardner was a uh, uh, staunch, uh, staunchly opposed to their, their policies in, in admit, admitting young folks. So I'm hoping, hoping that Desi takes a real hard look at that. Also, this is probably, probably for Ms. Young, in the Donahue Institute, more than you or Roy, it stated uh, little or no population growth. Is 1,200 people not significant enough? The census of 2020 showed a 1,200 individual increase in the population of the city of Fitchburg. Is that not significant enough? I can't speak Is to that. little or no population growth? I think so it's, it's, little? it's very little population growth, but I think what they were really referring to is the labor market. So not necessarily the population, but the labor force. Okay. So the labor force is going to decline because even though you're seeing population growth, you're also seeing an aging population. So you're seeing people leave the labor market. Okay. Thank you. Any, uh, Mr. Hughes. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Do you think it could be 
the amount of uh, the type of employment that are coming now versus what was 10, 15, 20 years ago? Could that be an issue in terms of preparing our kids for the labor market? Are we are we missing the, missing the mark? You know what I mean? Are we preparing a workforce that is outdated as opposed to moving forward? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think as the report stated, you know, there's a lot of evolution happening. You know, there's a lot of technology and, and changing that's impacting our world. So it's, it's gonna be a challenge to stay constantly relevant. Um, but, um, you know, there's certainly, you know, I think the report talked about, you know, there's these expectations family expectations, societal, societal expectations to go on to college. While we have a lot of trade openings and a need in the trades, so uh, there's probably a lot of students that are, could benefit from different modes of education, maybe a trade school, but can't take benefit from that because of some of these capacity issues that are, that are taking place. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, thank you. I wanted to ask you about this report. Is this a report that the Chamber of Commerce requested of somebody to do? Yes, we commissioned the UMass Donahue Institute um, for UMass this report. UMass Donahue? Donahue, yes. And, and who are they? Tell me a bit about them. So the, the UMass Donahue Institute is, um, I believe, um, they are the uh, Economic Development and Public Policy Research Arm of the President's Office. Uh, the UMass system, uh, so they do a lot of these types of reports. Uh, different groups can commission them to do these types of <coughs> reports uh, on, we've, we've commissioned them to do other reports in the past. And do you know who the, uh, the group is made up of? I mean, was this a, was this a class uh, project? Uh, who, who was on this, who was on this uh, Donahue? The Donahue Institute, yeah. So the project team. Donahue Institute, it's called the Donahue Institute. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah. So the Donahue Institute had a project team. It was led uh, by Dr. Brander Stewart, and uh, it was uh, a, a number of researchers. So they're all. I guess what I'm asking is was this a, a, a something of a class project that was, no. uh, you know, taken on for a term? And no, no, it was done work by done by students. Uh, no, there was no student involvement. It might have been a good idea to have uh, student involvement, but this wasn't a class project. This was done by a research team. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yes, Mr. Walsh. Thank you for the report. Really appreciate it. I, I know um, skimming through with this, some great recommendations around internship opportunities in schools and. <clears throat> And I just want to ask, is healthcare and manufacturing still two of the leading job sectors in North Central Mass? They are, yes. Actually, um, as part of our economic, regional economic development plan, we identified four industries, priority industries, and, and the top two are healthcare and manufacturing. Yeah. So advanced manufacturing, and then, then we have a lot of uh, small businesses and tourism are also uh, uh, priority industries, uh, as well as uh, logistics and transportation, because of changes in our economy. You know, with uh, these new the Amazons of the world, and they need more of these uh, warehouses and kind of logistics operations. That's great, and I know at Fitchburg High they have recently added an advanced manufacturing internship-based pathway with three great classrooms, and also looking to expand into environmental science as a as a as an area of 
uh, sort of vocational technical type training which which would address some of those sort of technical aspects and building the workforce so it's great it really and you have a healthcare career path healthcare well, pathway yeah. through through early college as well so i think fitchburg high ha has done a lot to try to address some of the recommendations that that are coming I, from the chamber i would completely agree and you know as, as i said before fitchburg is really a leader regionally programs like that are exactly what we need Manufacturing pathways, healthcare pathways, you know, other industry pathways, early college, all of these initiatives help prepare these young men and women either go to directly into a career if they want or college and then a career, which is what we want. And it's aligned with industry here. And the report talks about that. You know, you don't want them, you, you want to help find the right path for them uh, that's going to be aligned with, with, uh, what industry needs nowadays. You don't want them going to, moving out of the area because uh, the industry that they studied for isn't here in the region. We want to retain them here in the region, right? So uh, it talks a lot about that, and that is spot on. Uh, we're, we're thrilled that the school's doing that, and uh, we'd like more schools to be doing that, and uh, and we'd like Fitchburg to be doing even more of that, So because that's what, what we need. That's, that's exactly what the report validates. Those types of initiatives are really important. Thank you. Yes, so I guess just uh, thinking back a little bit of the history of, well, this region and Fitchburg in particular, it used to be big paper mill town uh, many years ago. And, you know, Fitchburg and North Central Mass has evolved. Lawrence used to be really big in plastics, right? And as we look at the workforce needs of the future and industry with technology is changing rapidly, and I was fortunate in, uh, enough to go recently on the manufacturing tour and seeing really the high-tech manufacturing. This isn't, uh, this is really clean manufacturing too, uh, you know, whether it be at Devon's or we're at a place in uh, Lemonster and a place in Shirley on the tour. Uh, just a couple updates, you know, this year Fitchburg High did add a guidance counselor focusing on uh, college and career uh, and has been uh, very active in terms of trying to uh, expand the relationships that uh, were started under principal, you know, former Principal Roach at Fitchburg High School, um, you know, the dual enrollment, the pathways, um, you know, manufacturers recognize the, the need to um, bring on good talent. We want to, you know, create that with students who are critical thinkers. You know, I'm just looking at our uh, Department of Ed um, statistics on last year's graduates and, you know, self-reporting, you know, 27% are going into the workforce out of, out of high school. So that's one out of four. Uh, so we want to make sure if it's one out of four next year that they're, you know, ready to dive into whatever industry can hopefully train them and have them with good you know, pay and benefits. Uh, because I think one of the takeaways from that tour that I went on you know, was you can go into a lot of these companies and within a couple of years be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars um, $60,000 that companies are willing to train local graduates right out of high school. Uh, you know, it was mentioned a little bit earlier, in a couple of years, we hope to um, be working with Monitech on a pilot after dark program for home carpentry and electrical. That would only be available for our juniors and seniors. I think, you know, as the mayor said earlier, there's still kind of um, some structural issues there in terms of their admission policies. Um, nevertheless, we're trying to provide our students opportunities. And, um, you know, Monty Tech and uh, us will we'll be, actually, we have a couple of meetings this week, and our um, 
the guidance counselor who I mentioned also has a meeting Wednesday with the mass hire folks about internship programs, um, you know, for the, the end of their senior year. So these are things that we're actively working on here in Fitchburg and um, look forward to partnering with any companies that want to have conversations with us. So thank you. That's great. Oh, Mr. Hughes. So <clears throat> this, this, this kind of struck a nerve with me, this conversation, because years ago, uh, when uh, Rich Masciarelli was a principal at Fitchburg High School, and we started uh, a partnership with the United Way and a number of manufacturing companies, and they came in with this dog and pony show about you know labor force and getting kids that were coming out of high school, getting them jobs, and you know what I mean, meaningful employment, kids that weren't going to college or they were going to college, and guess what? No employers followed through. So people know, right, who's serious and who's not. So I hope that uh, when we talk about these partnerships, that the people that we serve, which is our students, right, we're preparing them for uh, the workforce. So I hope that the, the, the workforce is not putting up, I think you, you spoke earlier, to barriers, unrealistic expectations or overqualifications for their job and, uh, and things like that towards certain people. So we hope that that's not uh, uh, the case. We would, I certainly would, would, um, would be concerned with that because we, we started a program. We had 100 in, uh, student interns, right? We put them all around the region. Uh, the chamber helped us with that. And my, maybe five of them, you know what I mean? Companies wouldn't even return their calls. Would even, you know, so it's a, and the kids were going, what is that all about? Mm. So I don't want to disappoint the kids. I don't want to disappoint the people that we're saying, hey, we need you. We, we, we're getting you ready. We, we, we're going to drill college in your head. And, and then all of a sudden, they got to stay at home because they can't get a job. You know what I mean? So I want to make sure that we're making sure the employers know that. If we're going to do this, then we got to follow through and stop trying to, you know, just pull our kids along and just saying what we're going to do something and we don't we don't do it we don't follow through so i want to make sure that you know our, our employers know that if we're going to say we're going to hire these people then let's do that let's not put up barriers to hiring them or getting them involved you know let's make sure that we move all that do our best to move all that stuff out of the way in these partnerships and have a meaningful conversation about this we would absolutely agree, you know, and, and, and that's why we're here today. That's why we commissioned this report. You could see that, pretty frank, there are barriers out there, and, and uh, we're encouraging employers uh, to, to consider those barriers and think creatively and be flexible, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe traditionally they want only full-time. Well, maybe not everyone can work full-time. Some people right. have childcare issues or, or whatnot, or maybe have transportation issues or whatnot. So, we're encouraging employers to be flexible. I'm sorry you had a bad experience, um, uh, and that, but uh, I think it's in the best interest of employers, quite frankly, right. looking at the labor challenges that this region faces, this community faces, and not just here, but our entire country. Right. You know, this demographic challenge is is not just here in Massachusetts. It's a nationwide issue, and uh, and employers have to be flexible. You know, and they have to be creative and I would think most employers would want to work with the schools 
because that's their future workforce. Right. And we're certainly encouraging employers to work with the schools. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank, Thank you. you, Ms. Young. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted I just wanted to say one thing in in all of our conversation about this I, I did not hear a, a solid presentation of what we're going to teach the students to be prepared so that the, those employees will be happy to get them <clears throat> and that's uh, we have to have a good solid preparation of the students and I, I didn't hear that aspect of it uh, yeah I, I'm I'm not an educator, I'm just a chamber guy. So, uh, and this report was really meant to just be, you know, uh, a thought piece uh, to really present some recommendations. Um, we'd really be looking to the professionals, the educators to, to develop those curriculums, working with businesses. And again, that's one of the things we're encouraging is, you know, businesses need to have a seat at the table, should be working with our schools, helping our schools identify what is needed in real life, what's needed in the workplace, and uh, and we're happy to help engage employers and bring employers to the table. Yeah, so, so I just uh, many times things are presented in parts, and we're a part is a part of a whole, the right. whole community. The community has to raise its its standards and its preparedness and its knowledge and its usefulness, and the families have to be considered. So, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. It's a part of a whole. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, go ahead. This is my take on, on what you're saying. Wonderful stuff, but I come from the West Coast. On the West Coast, we start this stuff in junior high, which is middle school. Um, and there's no reason we can't introduce the workforce to your seventh and eighth graders. Each quarter, they take a different class, you know? These kids today, do you guys know how to balance a checkbook? Yes. Okay, that's an awesome thing. Because kids today, I'm finding, don't know how to balance a checkbook. They don't know how to manage their money. We need to offer this stuff in junior high and get it started there. By the time they get to high school, high school can become multi-tech, vocational. By the time they're done four years, they know what they've done. That's just what I came up with. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Next up on the agenda, we have uh, Ms. Pamela Rivers, our Nursing and Health Services Director here, to give uh, annual update on um, what's going on on the nursing front here in Fitchburg Public Schools. Okay. Thank you. And Good evening. Mr. Thompson has the slides. Okay. As soon as they're ready to go up, we go. So while we're waiting for that, good evening. Good Happy evening. New Year. Thank you for the opportunity to present to you this evening <clears throat> on the uh, Fitchburg Public School Nursing and Health Services. Um, as you heard, my name is Pamela Rivers. I am the Director of Nursing and Health Services for the Fitchburg Public Schools. <clears throat> so it's without exception that we believe all students deserve to be healthy in both their mind and body. All students deserve to receive health care, to be educated, in their health and in their health practices. So our focuses and objectives um, 
this evening are going to be how the nursing and health services support, collaborate, educate, show initiatives and successes. So a little picture of the uh, framework for the 21st century school nurse practice, uh, the standards of practice. There are four areas that we're gonna be focusing on that are part of this practice, care coordination, leadership, quality improvement, and public and community health. So this is for the families and the school community. And at the center of all of this, in the coordination is for the students because it's most important to have the students healthy, safe, and certainly ready to learn. So we'll start with our supports and their readiness to learning. First and foremost, we wanna make sure that we provide environments where we remove barriers. So any child, um, any student, regardless of health condition, is welcomed and we will be able to work with the families, the schools, the students, the community, to provide opportunities for learning and growing. Some of the ways that we do that right off the bat is with our screenings. So you see the listing of the screenings here that are conducted within the schools. Um, right away, remove barriers of any hearing issues, any vision issues. We work very hard with our health services, um, focusing on our return to class rate. Right now I'm pleased to say we're 90% in growing um, higher than that where we've been in the past. What this is, is a child can be seen, their health needs can be met, they can be ready for returning to class, returning to learning and instruction. And this in the end saves instructional hours for them. It also saves time for their families, for working, be able to provide for the families and all. Um, so nurses certainly work in collaboration. Um, we look to be participate and are invited to many of the different teams you'll see listed here. And with that said, the focuses for the students, the supports, are based on the whole child to keep them healthy, safe, certainly challenged, engaged, and supported throughout. So our collaborations, <coughs> ultra important as well. Collaborations aren't just happening within our schools, but within our communities. And partnerships is extremely important. Partnerships to be evolved and happen ahead of time, not when something is in a situation um, and, and you're trying to you know, build this. Relationships are so important. So there's collaborations with health and safety, our safety task force, emergency services, emergency preparedness. Um, nurses will meet with our emergency services um, and coordinate things ahead of time, share best practices, and make sure that we're aligned and current. Um, certainly the collaborations are with our health services and our programs there, not just within the schools, but within the community, and we'll be hearing about that collaboration a little bit later. Um, dental services, that's something that we partner with as well through Mount Wachusett uh, Community College and also our community health connections and the programs and the services within our schools. Um, very pleased to share that the nurses are amazing as far as mentors to student nurses from uh, Massachusetts colleges and universities. Right now, um, we are sharing the community and the path towards the school nursing track with not only our Northeastern University students, but also our Fitchburg State students. And one of the ways that the Fitchburg State is connected with the community through their last session was with a clothing drive. They understood that there was needs within the schools. They developed this clothing drive and they're looking very excitedly to give back in, in sharing that community connection. 
Um, the collaborations continue with agencies, healthcare partners, and not just within our city, but across the state and certainly across the country in some ways. So education, we're clearly in an educational environment in the schools, but health education is foremost and ultra important as well because we need our students to understand um, <clears throat> their overall health, their overall mind and body health. We want them to be lifelong learners of healthy practices. We want them to not only be consumers of health, but also understanding maybe an acute illness they have, maybe a chronic condition, how to handle that, and there's multiple conversations that go on with the nurses and the other support personnel. So initiatives. Um, initiatives are so important as well. Um, we look to look for, see continual offerings to provide our students and families. We do that for um, going after and achieving multiple health and education grants, um, and we've done that over the years. Um, we look at technology offerings and how we can further that. You'll hear about and see as you have care coordination. Um, you can't work in isolation. You have to coordinate the care and provide the best all around. Um, one of these ways is uh, moving forward, looking at data, providing telehealth services. Um, so moving forward with this technology that we have. And then professional development, education. This is an ongoing thing. We want to stay current in our practices, up to date. There's, as we well know, multiple new health findings and management that needs to occur. <clears throat> and I will share that one of the initiatives um, that we had at the high school, uh, Mr. Roach spoke about it as far as the health services and all, but we had program, and I believe it's going to be reinstituted, is the... Um, uh, certified nursing assistant program with multiple members, graduates. They actually, you know, have their certificate, can go on and have true work that way and then further their careers. So pleased to have that and, and, and support that further. Um, so our nurses um, are amazing in their pursuits as well. And one of the things I want to recognize, it's been achieved by several of us and continue to be something acquired and achieved is the awarding of the National Board for Certification of School Nurses. This is a nationally certified um, credentialing. It exemplifies a school nurse has passed rigorous natural credentialing process to validate practice competency based on professional standards. The board certification in school nursing and specialty practice is a formal recognition of advanced knowledge competency, a professional commitment to excellence in the specialty practice of school nursing on behalf of better health and education of our school children. So just to speak of this commitment from our staff that I'm very proud of and pleased to represent. So furthering successes. <clears throat> we certainly have made things happen. We've advanced successes with our students' families. We, um, relationships building, continuing to build, uh, various engagements. Um, within the schools, within the community, health fairs, other um, activities that go on and offerings for them. We continually work towards care communication. The benefits and the connections are, are just um, ongoing. And the participation in partnerships and health offerings, again, within our schools and within our communities. And with that, a couple of metrics to show this. So with the metrics in mind, um, these results um, show students' abilities, all students' ability to attend, to learning, attendance, and overall healthier outcomes. 
So first off is the case management communications and our care coordination. So what this is is a representation of the communication that the nurses have with parents and, and guardians, school staff, healthcare teams, community agencies. This can include home visits, attendance um, at, at primary care appointments, specialist appointments. This can happen <coughs> in real brick and mortar settings, but it can also happen telehealth-wise. And um, as you'll see over the years, there, there has been ongoing communication. You'll note in uh, last year, FY22, there was quite a little bump. And there, there was, you know, as a result of the pandemic and all, a lot of questions, a lot of health needs that were evolving. What was going on? What could we do to better our health? And I think that's representative right there. You know, if they're ongoing um, education pursuit, supporting our students, educating them, and working with our families. Um, one thing that's really important as well is the student feeling comfortable in their utilization of the healthcare services um, to further their health education, have these communications. So as you see, um, that as far as the percentages, is a range of 85 to 95% of the student bodies that visit the health offices interact with the nurses at least once per year. Other metrics, um, we all know how important health coverage and health insurance can be, so we look to coordinate this also, um, and it's part of our community health, our public health. Um, you can see where it's been over time. There's certainly multiple reasons why health insurance um, can be a challenge. I did um, look ahead for this year, and we're actually on target for the upper 70s, so we're coming back again with health insurance coverage, and i um, very pleased that the nurses also support this as well. Um, dental screenings, we heard about that. That's something that we have with our community partners in our schools. And you'll see these percentages of our student populations that participate in this with their parents obviously um, signing off in agreement with that. You'll note in FY21 there was not <laughs> any screenings at all, and that was just a measure. We didn't want to further the virus, so we were following protocols of not having others in. But as soon as that, you know, we we resolved that, then we had um, into the, this practice back in our schools, and we're right back up to where we were before. So a little bit of a review on our focuses and our outcomes. First up, we certainly focus on optimal health and well-being for all of our students. Um, and that's that whole child, whole body um, experience. We focus on the student health, their readiness to learn. And by doing this, we support the attendance within the schools. The return to class rates are, are noted again, and how we compare across our state with Massachusetts. Um, school health, school nurses, they indirectly um, promote achievement as well and absolutely focus on connections, relationships, and furthering education. And we want to be recognizing our, um, the various cultures, the languages, the different groups that we have within our community. So we do that in also a culturally responsive way, and we look to um, focus on health and safety and supports throughout. <clears throat> this is the branding that you will see throughout our schools. The Fitchburg School nurses have worked on this together. So you'll see it within the schools, within the district. And I thank you very much, again, for allowing me to present. And I welcome any questions or comments. Ms. Reynolds. I'd just like to make a comment that that was, that was very presentable. We could read it. We could follow you. The type is excellent. 
your one, yeah. So I thank you for making that. Thank you. Yep, yeah. <clears throat> Very good. Good numbers. Thank you. Okay, thank, thank you. you. <clears throat> Wonderful. I guess. Thank you, Pam. Thanks thank again. you, to Pam. Hey. Next up, we have uh, Dave Semenza of Nutrition Services. Um, this is the Health and Nutrition Night here at the School Committee. So, uh, Mr. Thompson has his uh, your presentation. Thank you, everybody. Um, first, foremost, I always like to start off. I need to thank my amazing staff who um, make my job easier and who allow who who feed. Uh, close to 4,000 lunches every day who handle that to allow us to, to come see you a couple times a year and update you on a few of the other things um, that we do. I know I last I was last here in August, gave you an update on uh, summer feeding and what we did. I'm going to talk briefly today about a few of the things we've done uh, since the start of the school year, a few of the things we have in the works, and I know I'll probably be back later in the year. Uh, so I did want to touch briefly on community eligibility, uh, the community eligibility provision uh, is what allows us here in Fitch Fitchburg to provide meals at no cost to students. I believe we have had that here in Fitchburg for a little over 10 years now. Um, we were just approved for another four-year cycle, so we are, have, are assured uh, meals at no cost for students here in Fitchburg through 2526. Um, again, CEP is a federally funded program that allows us to do that. Now, Massachusetts did pass legislation for the 22-23 school year um, for all school districts in Massachusetts to do meals at no cost. However, that is year to year. There's no, um, there's nothing um, on the books for next year. However, Fitchburg is assured that um, through at least 25-26. Uh, and the reason I say 25-26 is because we can reapply every year and it just starts a new four-year cycle, and it's something we will continually do. One of my goals as director is to ensure that the students of Fitchburg continue to receive their meals at no cost. So at some point this year, we will reapply again uh, with the hopes of extending another four-year cycle of that program. So next slide. Uh, update on some <laughs> capital improvements that we have made in our department uh, and some that are in the works. Um, a new, couple new roll-in style refrigerators at Memorial Middle School in Longs, Joe. Uh, new convection ovens at Fitchburg High to replace some <coughs> dated non-energy efficient ones. The new ones at Fitchburg High School are Energy Star rated. Uh, talk a little bit more about how we make our decisions on equipment in a moment. Uh, we did add a second combination oven steamer at Longs, Joe. Uh, for those who don't know, we are a little limited in our kitchen at Longshore, there's an issue with the ventilation system that cropped up. Um, God, I'm looking back at Jill, maybe 12, 13 years ago. Uh, we don't have access to regular kitchen ventilation, so we have to use equipment that is not required to have ventilation, and combi ovens, as they're known, aren't required. So we actually added a second combi oven this year. Uh, at Longshore Middle School. Many of our other schools do have combi ovens. It's actually sort of, uh, combi ovens are a preferred oven system that I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, there are some instances where we do have to use more traditional convection ovens, uh, but for the most part we are, uh, have been transitioning to combi ovens, reason for that in a second. Uh, one thing that didn't make the list, we did just replace all of the cafeterias at the New South Street Early Learning Center. Um, so that was completed. A few projects in the planning stages. New walk-in at 
uh, freezer at Fitchburg High School, we have really outgrown our storage space at Fitchburg High School over the years. Um, and then we currently have an outdoor storage freezer at Crocker, and the uh, clock is ticking on that because as part of the new, project school, uh, new, new Crocker School project, that freezer will eventually be decommissioned. So uh, we're working on that. Uh, we're working on replacing some non-energy efficient, older steamer kettles, um, tilt skillets at Fitchburg High that have been there since the school opened. Uh, equipment that's that old, the energy efficiency is just not as good. Uh, so we're looking at adding another combi oven to Fitchburg High School and a new skillet system that is much more energy efficient. And we are also looking at upgrading the serving line at Memorial Middle School from two serving lines to three, just to help some of the lines there. Uh, and we do have more cafeteria tables in the works. Uh, Fitchburg High School, one school, all new tables going to be added to that cafeteria. Uh, again, those tables are original to when the school opened. Uh, they're, they're looking it by their age, so we're happy that those are going to be replaced at some point. I believe we're just waiting on them to come in. Yeah. So, uh, next slide. So some the decisions that, you know, what goes into the decision making for the equipment um, and things like that. First of all, all projects are fully funded through the nutrition services revolving account through the revenues we generate and through grants. There is zero cost to the Fitchburg uh, schools uh, budget and or city. It's all self-funded, again, through re revenues we generate through our program, through the nutrition program and grants. Uh, so we're able to, you know, by managing the program fiscally responsibly, we're able to stay ahead and upgrade these, uh, this equipment um, to stay ahead of it. And whenever we are purchasing or upgrading equipment, we always are doing it with energy consumption and sustainability in mind. Ovens, we're looking at Energy Star rated. Those combi ovens I mentioned, when we're able to use those in the kitchens, uh, those use significantly less energy because they're what are called, those ovens are what they call on-demand ovens. So normally, classic kitchen setting, or kitchen setting. Manager goes in, they're in there at six o'clock, they fire up the ovens, they're on 350, 375 all day until they shut the kitchens down at 130. These newer combi ovens on-demand they heat up quickly, so they're not on consuming energy until about 10 minutes prior to when we need to cook something. Item comes out, they go into an idle mode where they're not consuming energy, something else goes in, so there's much less energy being consumed. So it's uh, much better uh, from energy consumption and sustainability, sustainability standpoint. Um, and all equipment upgrades across the board are made with this in mind. So, um, the slide, some, some of the pictures of brand, those are the brand new convection ovens at Fitchburg High School with the Energy Star rating. Again, there are some of our applications that still require a classic oven, um, you know, just from a, a food production standpoint. Um, yep. Excuse me, are those new ovens, are they gas or are they electric? So depending on the school, the ones at the high school, our kitchen at the high school is a gas kitchen, so those are gas ovens. So high school and South Street are gas kitchens, the rest of our kitchens are all electric. Uh, so that has to be taken into consideration when we're upgrading equipment. So uh, the, on the left, that is an example of, of the combi oven that I <laughs> talked about. Uh, that oven acts as a standard kitchen oven or a steamer or both. So there are some cooking applications where it's what we call adding a touch of steam to some of our cooking applications to help keep you know certain items. It keeps it moist while it's cooking and things like that. Uh, it's sort of the the new wave in cooking in kitchen. I shouldn't say new wave. They've been around for years, but they're becoming more and more um, uh, used more and more widely uh, in restaurants as well as school kitchens. And on the left, that's uh, the new refrigerator for 
uh, Longzhou that we just had installed. Next slide. Uh, Longzhou, uh, we needed a three-door refrigerator, but we couldn't get it in the building. Uh, Fortunately, we did take plenty of measurements prior to, and it wasn't a situation where we purchased it, they showed up and couldn't get it in. We, um, you know, lessons learned from years ago, we uh, sent the, we, we, we went for the quote, they came out just to double check the measurements and we couldn't fit the three door in the door. So we had ended up with a two door and a one door instead, but you know, uh, that's what we do. Uh, so that was, that's it on the equipment for, for what we've done year to date and what we have coming up. Um, we did do a food waste study back in December. Um, uh, we conducted it at, at Fitchburg High. Uh, USDA school meal regulations require, do require a certain number and types of food be taken by students in order for us to count it as reimbursable. The rules are what they are. I mean, we have to ensure kids take a certain amount of items, even if they don't necessarily want them. Even if they don't eat it. Even if they don't eat it. So, I mean, our job, my job, uh, Joe Lucius's job, is to make sure we find things that they do want. And this is the this infinite wisdom of the federal government yes. that determines that? So, for example, a student has to have a fruit or a vegetable on their tray. On paper, sounds great. We want to make sure they have their fruits and vegetables. But if a student mm. just says, I don't want it, we tell them to just take it, you know, maybe share the apple with a friend, put it in your backpack, have it later. Don't um, you explain to them, Dave, that we need those numbers? We, <laughs> you know well, those no, numbers. we explain it to them that it is important because it's very important to eat your fruits and vegetables. This, this might be, this is proper t probably the good time to bring this up. Yeah. And it's probably dated, Dave. Mm -hmm. A few years back, I was told that we give out milk, mm -hmm. cartons of milk. Milk is an student. option at, at lunch. And then... A parent contacted me and said, you observe them just throwing the milk carton complete, full, unopened, mm -hmm. in the trash. It happens. So uh, we don't ask them if they want to milk? We do. There is a misconception out there that students have to take milk with their meal. They do not. There are a minimum number of, of components. Okay. But, there, but we run into... Uh, <sighs> misconceptions, miscommunications where, you know, we all have folks help us and we love when folks help us who maybe not don't work for the yeah. nutrition services office, uh, <clears throat> teachers and paras and they're like, take a milk, have to take a milk, have to take a milk. Like, no, no, they don't have to take a milk because we don't want kids taking food they're just going to throw away. Right. But there is a minimum they have to take. Um, so, but we do these plate waste studies to kind of get an idea what, you know, what is it that we're wasting? Um, you know, we, we, we do these studies to help educate students when making appropriate meal choices. Um, we do to see, do we need to make changes? Are there things we're serving? Because we do a lot of our analysis based on what the students take. But if it ends up in the trash, how, how can I analyze that? So we do these studies to see, okay, wow, we thought they really liked this because they take it. Turns out they're taking it because they have to, and they're just throwing it away. So we, and we do these waste studies to determine that. Um, and we do it to find ways to minimize food waste and provide data, not date, that's a typo, I apologize, provide data to USDA, USDA on changes to regulations that might be needed. So we do give feedback to USDA when school lunch regulations do come up for reauthorization so we can tell them, listen, we know you had great intentions with these rules. They're not working out right. Can we tweak them? Every, things like that. So. Um, we do want to minimize as much food waste as possible. I mean, there is going to be some large-scale food productions like uh, a, a school district uh, of our size. There is going to be some. Um, 
Um, but our goal is to reduce it as much as possible. And conducting plate weight studies like these is just one of the many tools in our arsenal to, to help reduce waste as much as possible. Just from, not only, I mean, cost saving is a reason, of course, but I was taught don't waste food. And that's something, you know, we take very seriously. We don't want to waste food. So um, we have to <coughs> use all these different things to make sure we're not doing that. So next slide. Just some pictures from the plate waste study we did. We actually, you know, measure milk and weigh it. And, and, and see it, see just how much um, mil, uh, just how much food was thrown away that day. Um, so, next slide. Uh, breakfast. I wanted to talk a little bit about breakfast. Um, we do, uh, our lunch numbers are great. We serve close to 85% of the enrollment of Fitchburg Public Schools. Um, for lunch each day. But breakfast, we run into some issue. Breakfast participation has always been a challenge. Um, we do continue to innovate to find ways for students to have easy access to breakfast. We do. Um, myself and my assistant director, Nancy, and our food service manager, uh, Jill, we meet constantly to come up with innovative ways to find, to make it easy for students to get a breakfast in their hand. Now, we have made some great progress. School year 21-22 versus year to date 21-22 through year to date 22-23 our breakfast is up 35.7 percent we're serving about 500 more breakfasts per day than we did last year sounds great however we're only serving if we go to the next slide 34 percent of enrolled students in Fitchburg schools are getting a breakfast each day so why is that now obviously there are some there's kids eating breakfast at home there's no doubt about that um, but there's a lot of roadblocks that we face. And you know, we work with each of the schools to try to make it as easy as possible um, for students to get breakfast, because a hungry student cannot learn. And some of the roadblocks we face, limited choices for sure. With the number of students we are serving and want to try to serve, it does limit us on options, because um, it's a short amount of time to feed kids. Um, as much as I would like to feed every kid, you know, scrambled eggs and toast, and that takes time. And we're, we're serving thousands of kids in a very short amount of time. Uh, and in doing so, the options are limited. But we do monitor trends, review menus to ensure we're offering items that the students like. Um, there are some other roadblocks we face, though, that, you know, we, we do have to work on as a district as a whole. Um, a, a lot of times breakfast is seen as an inconvenience to the school day. Um, the percep this perception needs to stop. This is you know, my soapbox here. Um, just the, the delay we had just the other day, uh, we actually had a, a, a staff member request that an announcement go out that breakfast was canceled. Uh, we cannot do that. Massachusetts has, has legislation that says uh, districts such as Fitchburg are required to offer breakfast each and every day, but it just goes to show that um, um, the misconceptions about the program and, the, and, and breakfast and whatnot. Um, also, too, you know, the messaging we send that we want, you know, food insecurity is very real in Fitchburg. There are families that rely on what we provide each and every day. Um, and then when a student who we've been trying to get that message to comes in and is told, no breakfast for you today, get to class, that's it takes a long time for us to build that trust back. Um, so those are, those are 
um, perceptions and, and communication and whatnot that I'm trying to work with school administrators that we can't do that. Breakfast needs to be, um, it needs to be made important and an important part of the day. Um, we do run into issues with restrictions on meal consumption locations. Many schools do restrict it to the cafeteria uh, for various reasons, um, and they give us the reasons, but they allow other food to be consumed in the classroom. Um, Non-traditional breakfast service is very common in other districts, so I do get a little frustrated when I hear, nope, we can't allow kids to take the breakfast to the classroom, yet we see holiday parties, food just parading into the classroom, so... Um, you know, and things like that. Um, outside competition is tough. Um, you know, we, we do have to compete with the likes of the Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's of the world, but they have a different set of rules. Uh, we're required to be whole grain. We're required to serve fruit and vegetables and, and um, you know, offer milk. They have no rules. They can basically serve whatever they want. Uh, and that's a diff and, and so it's a difficult thing to compete with sometimes. Um, parent guardian education. Uh, we are working on some marketing materials to make sure parents know breakfast is available at no cost. There's no doubt that there are probably some families out there uh, that don't know. Um, convenience of service. Uh, this is one that we struggle with a lot. There's, you know, the notion that if they are hungry, they will go to the cafeteria. Just is not true. Um, we have to make it as easy as possible and as convenient as possible for students to receive a breakfast. And we do this through grab-and-go kiosks and, you know, student entry points. Uh, we introduced a uh, second grab-and-go cart at Fitchburg High School this year, and we saw those numbers at Fitchburg, our breakfast numbers at Fitchburg High skyrocketed, simply because we added an additional easy access point. Uh, those numbers just simply don't lie. But there is a misconception that when a student arrives at school, given the option of maybe going to hang out with their friends or go all the way down to the cafeteria if you're hungry, they're not going to do that. They're going to go play with their friends, and then in two hours they're going to be starving because they didn't get breakfast. So uh, if we had more access points, something that I'm constantly, um, you know, working with schools on adding, we wouldn't have hungry kids, and non-hungry kids learn better. Um, and this is just more of a what is best for students um, does need to be the driving force behind this. Um, and it just seems like sometimes it's not always the case. Um, you know, my goal is to, um, you know, make decisions for what's best for the students um, and making sure they have easy access to breakfast is one of those uh, things that I like to do. And I will continue to advocate for that, whether it's breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, other programs and, and things like that. And um, that's, that's all I have to say about breakfast. So, and I believe that is thank all you. I have. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Well Subject I'm passionate about. David, yes. you said they don't eat in the classroom anymore? Uh, there are some schools that do. Uh, so, for example, South Street Earlier Learning Center is doing a very successful breakfast in the classroom program this year. Uh, we do have um, Memorial does allow students to pick up breakfast at carts, uh, but we did have other schools where we did have some breakfast kiosks that I've been asked to stop them um, over concerns of students taking them to the classroom. What's the reason for that? Um, what I'm told is um, no food in the classroom because it attracts pests. It's what? Attracts pests. Yeah, there's see, plenty of other food in the classroom. See, I go back many years, yeah. and the food was delivered to yeah. every classroom. Yes. And the only rule I made for the, for the teachers, uh, 
you know, that they chose the time when they mm -hmm. ate. Yep. Between like 8.30 and 9.30, and the, mm -hmm. sometimes they did it during morning meeting, or, mm -hmm. but the teacher took their time when it was best for them in their each individual classroom. And it was very successful. And it was 100% of the kids had access to the food in their classroom. If we make it easy and convenient for the students, they're going to eat it. If we don't, they're not going to, and then they're going to be hungry, and they're not going to learn. I just want to make sure no kid ever goes hungry. And I, I mean, and it was always a, I could always send a student to the cafeteria and say he didn't get a breakfast, and they were always fed. Yeah, we, and we do that. We yeah. do that. And it, so. the, my concern yeah. is the, the kids who are afraid to say something. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you, Dave. Yep. Thank you, Dave. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks a lot, Dave. <laughs> this is this is not customary, but but I'm giving you great deal of latitude here, if you will. I appreciate it. Yeah, new Thank year, you. boy. But, <laughs> here, here. Um, as a parent, and I love kids. Let me tell you. Here's what I have discovered talking to many people out here is there's so many children out there. Their only meal is the meal that they provide at the school. That's it. I've talked to cafeteria workers whose hands are tied and are able to only sneak an apple to some of these kids, so they have a meal to go home with. What about at the end of the day, they take those meals that are left over instead of saying, no, I'm sorry, you can't have it, but I'm hungry and I need something for the weekend or the night. What about, can we bag them up and have these certain students so the students will some come into the office? Is there liability in that, Dave? Is there? So that they can have that? Yeah. yeah, there's a rule around that. Some school level programs where we do that. There is some liability that we get sign offs for, but there are some school level food pantries where we do gather the leftovers and we work with the school. Because uh, there's even parents. senior citizens out there that are starving. Mm -hmm. There's so many people. We, we work with the school parent liaisons to help identify the, the students without. <clears throat> Without them incurring any stigma, right? Because right, the last thing we want to do is see food go to waste exactly. and get it in the right. hands of the people who need, <clears throat> need it. And they, uh, these kids are asking yep. for it, and yep. they're being turned away and said, "I'm sorry, I can't give it to you," but sneaking an apple to them. And can we also get lact chocolate lactate milk? We are working on that. This that chocolate lactate milk in general was a huge issue due to supply chain issues. Regular lactate is back. Hopefully, chocolate will be back soon. Supply chain was a very real issue for us, but it's settling That's down. That's the only thing. So. <laughs> it's settling back. Thanks, Jane. Okay. Okay. Next up on the agenda, we have a district calendar update uh, looking at changing the early release day on. Um, March 29th to March 22nd. Mr. Thompson is going to talk about that. Yeah, thank you, Superintendent Jokola. Uh, the Department of uh, Ele Elementary and Secondary Education uh, came out with this year's MCAS calendar. And um, at the high school, they, had, they have scheduled grade 10 ELA for March 28th and 29th. Uh, we have to take the test on that day at the high school, so I'm asking that we move the early release day scheduled for March 29th uh, for parent-teacher conferences to March 22nd. Okay. Okay. That's all. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Um, 
we have one more presentation tonight. Um, Byron Woodman III of uh, Select Energy is back again to talk about the uh, carport installation project up at Fitchburg High School. And uh, I'd like to get some uh, concurrence from the school committee uh, so before I can go to the city council for, for them to vote on because the city council is the contracting authority, not the school committee. How do we, how do we verify that you are, in fact, the third? <laughs> very, very, no, very fishy. Made it in there. Are you really the third one? <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. I am the third. That's funny. Uh, okay. You never question Mr. Gal will be the fourth. Yeah, I know. He's, he's the fourth. The, Where is he? Yeah, yeah. He, he left. He's out talking. We have the young man that was sitting there is the fourth. He's a, a baseball practice, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should I share my uh, screen here? Try the should I should I start or should I share from here? Or? Yeah, share from from the one that you have on the account. Zoom presentation, and that might work. All right, let me just see here. Okay, I can share from here. There you go. There we go. Let's just see, there might be a delay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, time this afternoon and evening. Um, so I, I am back initially on, on the topic of Longstow uh, and the power purchase agreement there. And that, that project is advancing well. And um, talked to the project manager today. And he said it's on the, the one yard line. They're waiting for... Uh, I guess one more piece of equipment to be installed and then and then they'll be completing the inspection and and moving for permission to operate so happy to report that um, back in May when we met um, and advanced with a letter of intent for the high school our commitment was the letter of intent was to evaluate and, and do feasibility on the parking canopy and um, for the high school, what would be permitted, what the next steps would be. We've been working diligently. So this presentation is sort of an update on the findings that we've, we've achieved so far. Um, and then next steps with the city uh, zoning board to, to make it a reality and, and move forward. So let me, um, so just the general overview, project update, and then a, uh, a school committee vote uh, to move to city council for approval. So the, getting right, right to the, um, you know, right to the essence of it, 
when we signed the letter of intent, the commitment was, and I'm not sure if you can read it, but, but the commitment was to achieve a, a power purchase rate of 16.3 cents. Having done our feasibility, having worked through the utility study, the feasibility, received the incentives from DOER, where underneath that at 15.38 cents um, and for uh, the three canopies. It's actually two, two canopy regions but three separate canopies that are all gonna be fed and combined to provide about half of the high school's overall usage. Um, based on this, the savings has increased. Um, we're at about $1.4 million, a little bit over that, over the 25-year term. Um, and uh, there's a zero escalation rate on the power purchase agreement. So the price stays fixed for the next 25 years. And at a time when utility costs are going up, um, that's, that's significant. So we're really, we're really proud of that um, and be able to report back on those findings. So here's some of the specific action items which we, we completed. Um, we signed the letter of intent. We submitted for the SMART awards. We received them. We submitted for the utility approval and they requested a study. We submitted and paid for the study. We came back and we have the results from that um, which are included in, in the economics here. Um, We've done the feasibility. Um, the schools were very accommodating in terms of letting our crew come out on the weekends and, and do their boreholes, their geotech studies. Um, one of the aspects to the studies, just to mention it, is um, there is some ledge in some areas. So in that case, we'd use spread footings that just don't go quite as deep but go a little bit wider. That gets built into the engineering of the of the project um, as well too. The initial engineering uh, is, is complete at this time. So we're comfortable with the system size, we're comfortable with the location. Um, there is zoning approval which will be required um, prior to construction and that's, that's one of the next steps. Um, the, the agreements to advance um, will need uh, city council uh, approval um, and and um, based on on sort of the the path for Longstrow um, City Council looked for obviously the school committee's endorsement of this because it's is to support the schools so the recommendation from the school committee to City Council and then the vote from City Council to um, to execute those agreements in in not to go too deep on the details, but in the agreements, um, they're almost the exact same template that we um, worked with the city solicitor on the implementation for Longstrow. Um, there are some specific aspects in the exhibits that apply to a rooftop project versus a canopy project. Um, and so that those changes are, or updates have been incorporated um, into the uh, agreement as well, too. Byron, the cost of installation is all yours, correct? Everything, yep. The installation. How about uh, maintenance of it and whatnot is also maintenance, yours? Maintenance, yep. 
it's it's all on us and and um, we actually maintain it all the data is put into the internet um, and for real-time tracking we've got a knock center in Hopkinton where um, we have about 600 systems in the field who are gathering data and then we can deploy service uh, workers to maintain maintain those systems as necessary would you work with the DOER? Um, it is um, Kelly Brown. No. no, it's it's through the Clear Results. So Clear Result is is the primary group that we work with, the portal, and then they get their they funding from DOER. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah. So then then we'll install right now. Um, you know, all green lights, zoning, everything, the procurement. Um, we'd like to mobilize to do either the foundations or the construction start this summer if we can. That could be an aggressive schedule just in terms of getting the materials. We'd like to do as much of it as we can. During the summer months, there is a summer program at the high school as well too, so coordinating around that. So as, as we advance, there's gonna be a dovetailing between school operations, obviously. There are two different lots, so our hope would be to mobilize all at one time um, and have the crew there, but but there may be flexibility if if necessary on on working the different sites for for traffic, et cetera. Um, and then once once they're installed, then again we just we operate them, um, and the city just like we're doing for Longstroll and Rheingold, you'd receive the bill for the electricity um, from us for the solar portion and from Unitel for the grid type portion. And that's, that's the concise, fairly concise overview. So with Longshore, you said you're waiting for one piece of equipment. And the hope is that that would be operational by yeah, we're, ne next fall or? No, 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 this, hopefully within this quarter. Okay. Great. Yeah. Your 1.4 million over 25 years, is that reviewed at certain time frames or is that locked for 25? So, so the savings is based on the, the uh, power purchase agreement mm. rate versus yeah. the cost to compare from the utility. So it does assume a 2% escalator in, in overall utility costs. Um, so it's the, the PPA rate which is locked in and the savings is based on the finance, you know, the economic model and energy projections over the next 25 years. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and 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 on that note, just to um, to discuss that a little bit, this is through the Power Options Program. So in and they're the competitive supplier for the energy for the city. So as part of, of the analysis, we worked closely with power options in terms of the future modeling and the assumptions for energy costs. Okay. I hope you had the, similar to the, pro, the programs that we did years ago at yeah. Rheingold and Memorial and we can now yeah. have Longstrom Pitch for time, so. Good, okay. Thank, thank you very much. Any, any other thank questions? No. Okay, thank you. Thanks a lot, thank Byron. Hang around for the boat, vote, uh, Byron the third. Well, I've been the third. All right, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, we're gonna go into the home stretch here with some uh, budget items. We have some grants, donations, um, middle school boiler vote for the MSBA, and uh, Jeremy has a few words to say about the electronic payment system, so. Yeah, I have um, a 72 slide presentation <laughs> on that. For oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I do. I, I yeah, just, he went through 55, uh, so go I, ahead. Went very briefly, we met at Resource Subcommittee on, on December 13th, and we talked about the idea of um, adding the option of e-payment system to our students, families, and faculty. And, and essentially what that is is, um, you know, for, for events such as um, prom or school play or musical, or other types of events where school store is selling items. Uh, currently, right, you know, there are there are students and family members and faculty who would prefer to use credit card. They'd prefer to use some kind of e-payment. And in looking around at options, um, more and more folks are doing that. In fact, in looking at this a bit. Uh, only 25% of all sales in the United States, according to the Federal Reserve, so pretty good source there, in 2020 were cash, were directly cash. So 25% in 2020, and that's declining every year. The estimation for 2024 is 80% of all commerce will be done with some kind of e-payment, you know, and that includes credit card, that includes other systems such as Venmo, uh, you know, the sharing sharing payment systems and even, you know, the different wallets that you can get on your iPhone or Android device. So we'd like to look at offering a, an e-payment system um, in the 2023-2024 school year. Um, in this discussion, again, we looked at, you know, the various ways that that might produce opportunities for school stores and the various stores that might produce opportunities for alumni, for example, around Thanksgiving or the holidays who would like to, you know, purchase a Fitchburg High sweatshirt or a Goodrich Owl, something or other, or whatever school it might be. Uh, right now, about 200 schools in Massachusetts do offer uh, some kind of e-payment system, and, and the ones that we've been looking at also do integrate with Arbiter, which is the big one that the MIAA has athletic programs using. So in looking at just one site, Fitchburg High, there was about $60,000 of commerce last year between sort of the big events, whether that was AP fee exams or school store sales or the various types of activities, not including athletics. In, in, in considering that, about 30,000 to 35,000 was done in cash. It was then on site and has to be moved at, you know, from various places, from, from the advisors to the office to a safe to the bank. So uh, in looking at companies such as My School Bucks or Cheddar Up or different ones that are out there, um, this would allow for, for uh, still the option for cash because some people are comfortable with that and that's fine, uh, but also providing the opportunity for people who would like to 
to do uh, e-payments. So this is just a consideration of the school committee before moving to um, city auditor, city treasurer, of course we would do that to make sure that any system that we would do, if possible, would would be uh, as safe as possible and, and integrate appropriately with, with, a, with whatever the requirements are. So that's pretty much it. And, and again, uh, we reviewed this at resource in December and, and uh, had, a, had a productive conversation about it. And I'm glad to ask to answer any questions if, if any of the members have any. Thank you. So I think otherwise, well, go ahead, sorry. The donations and yeah. grants. And so, so at this point, we would then shift to some of the action items. So there were uh, three action items for grants, and that would be action item 23-219, the Mass Cultural Society in the amount of $5,800, and the benefits of Star, Star's residency grant at Rheingold Elementary School. Uh, and we heard a little bit about this earlier, the teacher diversification pilot program in the amount of $95,078, which supports local school and district efforts to strengthen existing teacher recruitment and retention programs in the Innovation Career Pathways grant of $125,000, which again, we also heard from Roy Nascimento, uh, supports Innovation Technical Pathways programming at Fitchburg High School. Those are grants. Should we bundle the donations? Or do you want to just take that one individually? I make a motion and we bundle the donation. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, when you say to accept the, the following grants, have you you've already applied for these and been told that you received them? Yes. Now it, it, it simply requires an acceptance of it, huh? Right. That's correct. Right. Okay. Is the wishes of the committee to bundle? Make a motion. Uh, Second the motion to bundle 218 through 228. Motion made and seconded to bundle action items 23 218 up through and including 23 228. Uh, yes. I have another question yes, on, on 23 220. What do you mean by the school spirit activities? Items related to school spirit activities? What sure. Which action item are you referring to, uh, ma'am? 220. Yeah, 220. Yeah, so the class of 1997 reached out. Uh, members of that class had, had collected funds <clears throat> that they would like to donate to ascending senior classes for the next 10 years in the amount of $2,000 per year to provide the opportunity for the senior classes to engage in activities that would promote spirit and unity and, and Red Raider pride. So it was great talking to uh, Nicole Daly and other members of the class of 97 who are really excited about making a donation again. And this would be an annual donation for at least 10 years in the amount of $2,000 per year. Great. great. Okay, any other questions? We have a motion to bundle, once again, 23-218 up through and including 23-228. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed, it is unanimous. Make a motion to approve the bundle of 23-218 through 23-228. Second. Motion made and seconded. All in favor? Aye. 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 All opposed is unanimous. Thank you. No need for executive session at this time. 
Do I have a motion to motion adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Motion made. Second. Seconded to adjourn. All in favor? Aye. Aye. We are adjourned.